Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqah Jariyah on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu Alhamdulillah alhamdulillah alladhi anzala ala abdihi alkitaba wa lam yaj'al lahu 'iwaja walhamdulillah alladhi lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakun lahu kufuwan ahad walhamdulillah nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nastaghfiruhu wa nasta'hdi wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyi'ati a'malina من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلوات الله وسلام عليه عباد الله قال الله تعالى في الكتاب المبين بعد اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم تلك حدود الله فلا تعتدوها ومن يتعد حدود الله فاولئك هم الظالمون there are some things in life that once a person admits them, once a person just comes to terms with that, life becomes a lot easier. Right? So for those of us who are getting older, admitting that you have to go to sleep earlier. For those of us that are saving up for something, admitting that you have to stop spending. For those of us that are trying to lose weight, you have to stop snacking. There are certain realities that we just have to come to terms with. The Prophet ﷺ, from the mercy of Allah, gives us many opportunities to come to terms with these truths. Spiritually, they make our lives collectively a lot easier, but there is a hill that has to be climbed. There is a cognitive and emotional and spiritual battle that has to be fought. But once a person makes that journey, life becomes a little bit easier. I want to share a narration today. And the narration is from the Arba'in, the collection of 40 hadith of Imam Nawawi. And in this narration, the companion, his name is Jurthum bin Nashir, radiallahu anhu, he narrates that the Prophet gave us four truths, four hills to climb. And if we're able to make that journey, if we're able to ascend these hills, the spiritual path, the straight path to Allah becomes, I don't want to say easier, but it becomes a lot more clear. So he narrates that the Prophet ﷺ said, Inna Allah ta'ala farada fara'idah fala tudayyuha That Allah ta'ala has obligated the obligations. He's made them something that we have to do. So do not neglect them. Wahadda hududan fala ta'taduha and he has set boundaries, so don't overstep those boundaries. And he says, وَحَرَّمَ أَشْيَاءَ فَلَا تَنْتَهِكُوهَا He has made certain things impermissible, 
So don't do those things. Do not delve into those things. Do not violate them. And he says, وَسَكَتَ عَنْ أَشْيَاءَ رَحْمَةً لَكُمْ غَيْرَ نِسْيَانٍ فَلَا تَبْحَثُوا عَنْهَا And Allah Ta'ala, and this is perhaps the most profound one, Allah Ta'ala, سَكَتَ عَنْ أَشْيَاءَ He has remained quiet. He has remained silent on certain things. Why? رَحْمَةً لَكُمْ For a mercy for you. Not because he forgot. And so do not dive deep in trying to figure things out and research those issues. This hadith, although it seems like a long one, is actually just four steps. It's really not that difficult. If you consider your life four quarters, it's pretty straightforward. The first is that there is a critical importance on the obligations. When you look at every commentary on the Arba'in, you'll find one word being used. Muhafadha. Tahfiz. Tahfiz, when you look at someone who is hafiz of the Qur'an, the word translates not to a person who has memorized, but a person who literally means to protect something, to guard something, right? To make sure that something is never in danger, never at risk. So the scholars, when they talk about the fara'id, the verb that they chose was tahfiz, to protect the obligations. Now if we're honest and we look at the list of things that we have to do as Muslims, I know growing up sometimes, or living life in general, it feels like that list is really long. But the reality is when you look again at the list that is compiled by scholars, it's actually really short, surprisingly. Maybe two or three lines. When the scholars wrote, what are things that every Muslim has to do? Very, very small list. It's not as long as you would imagine. Most of us have jobs and have requirements outside of religion that ask so much more of us than our religion asks. But the perspective on faith and on religion is that it feels so burdensome. Sometimes it feels like too much. I have to get up and pray and then I have to do this and then I have to call my parents and then I have to give charity and then once a year I have to fast and I have to think about hajj. And we get in our own heads about the obligations to the point where we start to even resent doing them. But we don't realize that if we were to actually look at that objectively, the list itself is more than achievable, more than doable. So number one is acknowledging Allah's mercy and realizing that the obligations are very much accomplishable. They're well within reach. On top of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so wondrous and amazing that when you give someone a list and the list is short, you normally expect no mistakes. Okay? If I ask somebody, hey, go to the grocery store and buy me three ingredients. If they forgot one, I would say, man, I didn't give you a list of 20 things. I gave you three. How did you forget one? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has every right if we don't fulfill the very short list of fara'id, he has every right to punish us, to give us consequences, to give us what we deserve in that moment. My mother used to say this every day. If I didn't pray Fajr on time or if I didn't go to the masjid and pray, she would say, what, what right do you have to go and make money today? What right do you have to eat food today? What right do you have? You didn't get up and worship Allah in the morning, and so what right do you have? Right? So, 
even with that short list, we would expect there to be some harsh consequence. But no, Allah, on top of giving us an already short list, says, when you mess up, when you make a mistake, I won't only accept your repentance, I won't only accept it, right? Because people accept repentance begrudgingly. You know, if someone makes a mistake, I'm so sorry, I forgot, let me go back. Okay, make sure you don't forget this time, right? And then you remind them a week later, hey, remember when we were making biryani, you forgot the rice? How'd you forget rice with biryani? There was, I needed rice. We, Allah never even reminds us. In fact, the hadith, the Quran and the hadith tell us that Allah will forgive us wala ubali, and I won't mind. He won't ever bring it up again. The angel on the left shoulder, literally, the hadith tells us that the angel on the left shoulder, the two angels that are designed, that are given the job of writing down our deeds, the one on the right that writes down the amal salih, the good deeds, it writes it down right away. The one on the left, Allah has commanded that angel, hold your pen. Hold your pen. Why? Isn't it possible, right, that the angel could write it down? Well, the angel is told, because my servant might ask for forgiveness. Well, if we ask for forgiveness, surely the angel can erase it. Allah is so merciful that he doesn't even want any trace of mistake on our, on our record. Not even a single mark. Because when you erase something, there's still the sign that something was there. Allah's mercy is so incredible. Even with the very minimal amount he asks from us. He says, you will make a mistake. And when you make that mistake, I will forgive you. And I will not mind. And then on top of that, another mercy. There are concessions. We have to. But when you're traveling, you can shorten those prayers. And for many people... They ascribe to, you can also combine. We have to fast in Ramadan, but if you're feeling sick, then don't fast. Feel healthy and then make that up. Or if you're traveling, you can also. You have to give zakat. But if you don't have the money, then you don't have to give. In fact, you should receive and you have to make hajj. But if you're not in a position in life to do that, then don't go. Don't put your family at risk. Don't put your life at risk going when it's not oblig obligatory upon you. So we have this incredible ecosystem of mercy that, that absolutely just envelops all the obligations that we have. If a person is honest, if a person is direct with their heart, they have to admit something. The obligations are filled with mercy around and in between. So the Prophet says what? Allah has obligated for you to do them. So don't forget about that. Don't forget. If somebody was so kind gave you the shortest list, gave you every excuse, gave you every way to get out if you didn't feel like it, if you couldn't do it, if your body wasn't up for it, how ashamed would a person be if they didn't do their best effort in the things that they were asked? We ask Allah Ta'ala to protect us. So when someone grants you so much and asks for so little in return, the only correct response is to protect it with your life. It's to guard it with your life. They don't ask for anything else. This is why the word that's used is tahfiz. When you think about your prayers, nothing should get in the way. Establishing prayer, nothing should get in the way. It shouldn't even be a question. It shouldn't even be a contest. It shouldn't even be a debate internally. We ask Allah to get us to that station. When it comes to zakat, it shouldn't even be, there shouldn't even be, I know people, subhanAllah, that when they give zakat, you know, everybody is so meticulous. Everyone is so meticulous about zakat. They're so careful about it, but not in the best way. Sometimes there's a little bit of, well, 
do I have to give from this? Does this qualify for this? I know a brother, subhanAllah, he goes, I take everything and I don't want to make the Mufti's life hard. Mufti, Mufti Kamani, Mufti Muntasir. He goes, so I just give like 3%, 4%, whatever. And if it, I'm like, no, you don't have to give on that. He goes, I'm going to give on it. Because at the end of the day, 2.5% of this and that, whatever. He goes, man, I go out to eat all the time. I can do that. You see how he wants to protect it? Make sure that he's never skimming off the top. That he's never stealing from the poor. Right? People who make up their fasts. Oh, how many days do I have? Six or seven? Do eight. It's not worth cutting that close. It's not worth stealing away from that. We ask Allah Ta'ala to protect us. The second, the second lesson. So number one is protecting your obligations. Number two is the seriousness of the boundary, the hudud. What Allah Ta'ala has set down. What's the goal of a boundary? Why do we have boundaries? Why do we have walls and fences and things that are in civil society? Well, for one purpose really, and that's protection. It's to delineate the value of something and to protect it. How comfortable would you be not having a front door to your home? How comfortable would you be sitting in your backyard with no fence and no barrier to protect you and your children and your family? You wouldn't be very comfortable, would you? Boundaries are designed to protect. And this is the same with the Allah's boundaries. Again, many times as people growing up in the community, the, the, the boundaries of what Allah has ordained, stay away from this, guard yourself from this, it's seen almost as like a deflation. Like, oh man, I remember when hot Cheetos for a short time were haram. And one of my friends, I'll never forget, man, you know, that was the one thing that caused him to lose it. When hot Cheetos, when there was speculation about the ingredients, you know, he picked up a bag and we told him, this is back in high school, we told him, hey man, those are haram. And he's like, man, everything's haram. And he got really upset. That reaction is a reaction of a person that wasn't taught why boundaries exist. The meaning behind these things. If you teach people that your boundaries are there to protect you, to make sure that the valuable, the pearl, the gem in your heart known as iman is never ever at risk to be tarnished or damaged. Right? The valuable substance that Allah has placed inside of you is never at risk, all of a sudden the boundary now becomes an ally, not someone that is an enemy. So the Prophet ﷺ says that Allah Ta'ala set these boundaries. Now the biggest thing, you know how we talked about in the first part, shukr, gratitude, you realize Allah has given me so much and asked so little. The grateful heart has to worship Allah because you say, how can I ever repay Allah for all he has given me? He's only asked me to do this small amount. The emotion in the part about boundaries is trust. Do you trust Allah? Do I trust Allah? There will be some boundaries that you get. There will be some boundaries that you totally understand. There will be some boundaries that you'll understand later in life. As you get older, you start to say, oh, okay, this makes sense. When I was younger, I didn't get it. Now I start to get it. And quite honestly, there will be some boundaries we'll never get. Because we don't have infinite wisdom and knowledge like Allah has. But trust has to be there. Whether or not we fully get it. Just like you trust people every day. When you go and you order some food or see your doctor or talk to a lawyer or deal with an accountant or whatever. Sit in a classroom, look at your teacher. You're trusting that person with whatever they're doing. Do we trust Allah? Do we trust Allah with His design? That's the question. 
The moment we trust Allah and we see the meaning in the boundary, in fact, even if we don't see the meaning, it becomes a lot easier to respect them. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us that trust. It must be seen in the greater context. The third is the danger of transgression. The Prophet ﷺ, he said that what? Allah Ta'ala has forbidden certain things, so don't transgress, don't do them. Mullah Ali Qari, when he comments on this hadith, he says something really amazing. He says, if everybody were to look at all the prohibitions in Islam, all of the things that were haram, and he said if they were to look at them objectively, honestly, with a pure heart, he said you will find, the person will find that the actions in which Allah has deemed as impermissible are all absolutely, without question, despicable, disgusting actions. There is not a single thing that is actually, in its essence, beautiful, beneficial, and amazing that Allah has said this is wrong. And he said this is part of a person's iman aligning with their emotions. That you have to understand that Allah would never prohibit and never deem sinful an action that was beautiful, that was good for you. It would never be the case. Everything that Allah Ta'ala has deemed as impermissible is something that in fact is horrific on its impact of the heart of a believer. And that's why the boundaries that we talked about have to be respected. You know, there's a, a narration that's really powerful, subhanAllah. There was a woman that committed a, a, a crime, and the Quraysh, they knew she was from a noble tribe. And uh, so they were worried, right? Some of the people who accepted Islam from the Quraysh, they were worried because they didn't want one of their own, one of their tribe's women to be punished, right? You kind of always are looking out for your own. So they were, they were frantic when this crime occurred, and they said, who, who does the Prophet love? Who can we send as like a, a, an advocate? that the Prophet has a soft spot for. And they said, ah, Usama bin Zayd. So they sent Usama bin Zayd to go and kind of you know, lobby on behalf of this person to kind of see if the punishment could be, you know, just, we could just, can we just forget about this? So Usama bin Zayd goes to the Prophet and he kind of, again, respectfully says, Ya Rasulullah, you know. And the Prophet Aisha described and said that his face changed color with anger. His face changed color. He said, she committed an egregious sin. And then he says, look, this isn't personal. And he makes a bold statement, He says, if my own daughter Fatima were to commit this same sin, I would still uphold the punishment. There's no favoritism here. And then he said, the people before you were destroyed because before they delivered consequences, they looked at the status of the person. And they saw if they were Sharif, if they were wealthy, if they were noble, then they would what? Tarakuhu. They would leave that person. They would say, you know what, it's fine, it's fine, let them go. Is that not a description of the society we live in today? The wealthy, the famous, the powerful, no punishment, nothing. Slap on the wrist. But the one who is the everyday person, just trying to make it, right? So the Prophet said, this destroys societies, destroys civilizations, right? Everything that is impermissible, it's not only impermissible for certain people, it's impermissible for everybody. And you need to find that level of distaste with it. And the last thing, and we'll conclude with this, is that there are spaces that exist within Islam where Allah Ta'ala did not give us the direct detail of the answer to that question. He left it open. And this is something by design. 
There's a famous story the Prophet ﷺ, when he was teaching the companions about Hajj, there was a companion that asked, Ya Rasulullah, should we do it every year? You know that student in class, the one who asks if you're going to collect the homework? <laughs> right? Teacher forgot to collect the homework. There's one. Are you going to collect the homework? Don't do that. Don't be that person. This guy, this Sahabi, may Allah be pleased with him, was that. The Prophet ﷺ said, do Hajj. And the companion said, every year? And the Prophet ﷺ was quiet. He said, do Hajj. The companion said, Ya Rasulullah, every year? And this happened three times. The Prophet looked at him and said, do you want me to say yes so it becomes impossible? Do you want me to say yes so you can't do it? Another famous narration, the Prophet explaining about the miswak. He's brushing his teeth before every salah. So a companion, they ask him, the companion say, Ya Rasulullah, is this part of wudu? He says, no. And he goes, this is not by wudu, this is not by design part of wudu because it would be too much for you. Look at the story in Surah Al-Baqarah. When they were asked, when Bani Israel was asked to sacrifice a calf, a cow, the initial question was very, the initial request was very simple. And then they started asking questions out of their, almost their compulsiveness, their disrespect. And, oh, well, what kind of cow? What color? How old? This and that. What size? And the Quran says they made it so difficult on themselves. They made it so hard on themselves. Why? Because they could not let something exist as it was. So the Prophet says that there is by design a space, and that space is the space of rahmah, of mercy. In between some rulings, there may be some questions that pop up in your mind, in your heart, and you might say, well, what, what about this? What about that? And wallahi, brothers and sisters, there's never an end to that thought. It keeps going. And so the Prophet said, Allah left these things open, غَيْرُ نَسْيَانٍ not out of forgetfulness, rahmatan lakum, so that you could experience his mercy. And he concluded in another narration, the Prophet said, nothing destroyed more people, nothing destroyed the faith of more people than an obsession, than an obsession with asking questions and digging deep and seeking, not for the sake of sincerely learning, that's different, but for the sake of trying to explore the unknown. Human beings have to admit, we can't come to know everything. We have to submit and trust that whatever we've been sent, Quran, Hadith, the Prophet's example, is sufficient for us to live a good life. We ask Allah Ta'ala to grant us satisfaction in these four principles of success. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us those who protect our obligations, that we respect the boundaries, that we stay away from the things that are impermissible, and that we appreciate the mercy of Allah in giving us space uh, to figure things out. Amin, amin, ya Rabbil Alameen. Qul qul hadha wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum wa tisa'ir muslimin fa astaghfiru innahu al-furuhin. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala ashraf al-anbiya'i wa al-mursaleen Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Brothers and sisters, this uh, hadith is just one. Just one narration from the life of the Prophet sallallahu but in it, and I didn't do it properly, I didn't do it justice properly, but in it is so much benefit for a person who wants to gain nearness to Allah. These four steps, these four advices are things that quite honestly, if we go home and think about these things, naturally there will be an increase and a benefit in our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is an example of something very powerful, and that is when a person goes to seek knowledge, Allah ta'ala gives them millions more than they sought. Allah gives them so much more than they even asked for. 
If a person wants to come to know Allah, they will never leave feeling like they didn't get what they were looking for or what they deserved. Or They will always be so grateful with how much Allah Ta'ala embellished and gave them, enlightened their faith with the knowledge that they sought. I want to remind everybody that the most fulfilling and satisfying practice of faith is the faith that is coupled with knowing Allah, with knowing this religion. And that if a person wants to do better in their deen, then they must, they must adopt in some capacity a path of learning this religion. We know here at the you know, seminary, at the institute, there are many different classes and opportunities, but even beyond that, everybody in this audience, brothers and sisters, should have a book or a podcast or a lecture series or something that is regimented to their life. Because just like you listen to a hadith and your perspective is changed, that perspective, that growth, that understanding, that relationship will only get stronger with Allah the more that you seek. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to make us amongst those who make knowledge a part of our life. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. We ask Allah Ta'ala to forgive us of our sins. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to forgive us of all of our shortcomings, those that we know and those that we don't know. We ask Allah Ta'ala to forgive those who have passed away and grant them mercy. We ask Allah Ta'ala to uplift the oppression that people are experiencing at home and abroad. We ask Allah Ta'ala to put barakah in our homes, with our families, with our children, with our friendships. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to navigate the challenges that we find ourselves in. Inna Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim fil alameen innaka hamidun majid Allahumma barik ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim fil alameen innaka hamidun majid Inna Allah yamur bil adi wal ihsan wa ita idhal kurba وينحى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعذكم لعلكم تذكرون أقيم الصلاة